Thank you for that, gentlemen. Let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew and chapter number 27. Matthew chapter 27. Well, it's a communion service this evening, and I'm sure that the uh, many of the early churches 2,000 years ago, uh, when they got together and they were going to celebrate the table of the Lord, I'm, I'm sure they didn't have near half of what we enjoy uh, as far as bells and whistles uh, today. I don't think they had a nice piano in which to uh, play their, their music. I don't think they had uh, uh, a choir and special music. I don't think they had that. And beautiful facilities to meet in. And yet these were real, honest-to-goodness churches, and Jesus was present. And Jesus said, I will build my church. You know, it's interesting, a couple of weeks ago, we were visiting the manger, his nativity, that first advent when he came. And then this morning, we talked about Jesus in his glory. And he will sit on the, the glorious uh, throne of David throughout the millennial kingdom in all his splendor and power and glory. And both these events act as bookends, if you will, for perhaps the most important event in Oliver's history, and that's his substitutionary death for you and I on the cross, which is what we're going to look at here this evening. And so if you have your Bible open at Matthew 27, we're going to read a, a small little passage together, but it's beginning in verse 29, and it'll conclude in verse 54. And I'd like to invite you to stand, if you're able, and we'll read this together. Matthew chapter 27, beginning at verse 29. Let's read together. And when they had platted a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head, and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink, mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there, and set up over his head his accusation, written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests, mocking him with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. 
He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. The thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? That is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there, when they heard this, said, This man calleth for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, Let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks rent and the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. May God bless the word to our hearts. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray, Father, that you would help us by faith to catch another glimpse of Jesus, our lovely Savior. And, oh, the agony he went through for each and every one of us. Our Father, we also want to remember those of our church family who are not well and are sick, and we pray that you'd lay a healing hand upon them. And uh, dear Heavenly Father, we have folks that are suffering everything from um, sniffles all the way through to life-threatening diseases. And we ask, Father God, that you would heal all our diseases. Our Father, we pray for those that are maybe watching over the internet right now. And Lord, we pray that if there be any um, unsaved unbelievers that you would indeed speak with their hearts and through the scriptures and through perhaps comments made that you would show them the truth and show them their need of repentance and salvation of Jesus Christ. Lord, hell we know has enlarged her mouth and uh, it seems that hell is never satisfied and mockers and scoffers by the millions are dying every year and atheists and ardent evolutionists are learning the truth just a few moments after they close their eyes in death and they open their eyes in an eternal hell. Help us who know the truth, who know you through Jesus Christ our Lord, help us to pray for the lost around us and to lovingly try to encourage and point them in the direction of Jesus. And we pray that you'd please increase our faith tonight. This is a special time. Father, make it precious to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please be seated. <coughs> there is no story in all earth's history like the one we just read. This has got to grip the heart of every believer. You know, the longer you're saved, the more you know the Lord, the more that the truth of these verses should hit you square between the eyes. And by faith, you ought to be able to feel like you are right there. 
And uh, oh my, what a, a dark day in earth's history when the creature put to death the creator. Say, so how can that be? And yet that was the, the plan of God. And God did it, not because we're so lovely, not because we're so worth saving, but here's why he did it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's sad, isn't it? When uh, God has done so much for people of the world and so many turn their back. You know, you don't have to be a blasphemer and a scoffer and a wicked, vile mouthed God hater to end up in hell. I believe that there are many fine folks who uh, attend good churches but have never been born again, never been saved, and they will sadly be in hell one day. All that someone has to do to end up in hell is bypass Jesus. That's all they have to do. They can be as nice and sweet, a nice neighbor. They can be a religious person. They could be healthy, wealthy, and worldly-wise. But without Jesus, they've missed it all. Isn't that the truth? He is the one uh, that is able to forgive sins because only God can forgive sins. And good news, Jesus is God. Well, we have, uh, as I say... Probably the most striking story of all Earth's history here before us. We should never forget that story. None of us here tonight who are saved should ever forget the wonder of being saved. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. And we should never, ever get over the wonder of it. Never, ever, ever. Back in 1835, a godly Christian hymn writer by the name of William Walker was so impressed with the cross of Jesus Christ that he wrote these words to the hymn. The cross of Christ inspires my heart to sing redeeming grace. Awake my soul and bear a part in my Redeemer's praise. Oh, how can be compared to him who died upon the tree? This is my dear delightful theme that Jesus died for me. When at the table of the Lord we humbly take our place, the death of Jesus we record with love and thankfulness. These emblems bring my Lord to view upon the bloody tree. My soul believes and feels it's true that Jesus died for me. His broken body, nailed and torn and stained with streams of blood, his spotless soul was left forlorn, forsaken of his God. Twas then his father gave the stroke that justice did decree. All nature felt the dreadful stroke when Jesus died for me. Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, he cried. Why hast thou thus forsaken me, and thus my Savior died? But why did God forsake his Son when bleeding on the tree? He died for sins, but not his own, for Jesus died for me. It doesn't matter when you're born all through life's history. When you come into knowledge of God's love for you and what he did for you, it has to change you. Reverend John Hullier lived from 1520 to 1556.
something like 36 years. John was brought up at Eton College in England, and in the process of time, in about 1549, he became a, a minister at a town called Bobram, about three miles from Cambridge in England, outside of London. He went from there to a, a town called Lynn, and there he began to oppose the superstition of the Catholics and the Papists, and he was arrested and carried before Dr. Thurlby. He was bishop at the time who sent him to Cambridge Castle, and he lay there for some time and then was taken to Tollbooth Prison. Now, I believe we've got a picture there, do we? Yes? There we are. So there, there's Reverend John. And there is the Tollbooth Prison. The picture on the left, it's been, it's, it used to be a prison. It's been turned into a museum. And the picture on the left is one of the cells where prisoners were held. And it would have been in a cell, perhaps something like that, that uh, Reverend John Hullier was, was kept uh, for about three months. And then he was brought to a place called St. Mary's Church and condemned to death by a, a papist by the name of Dr. Fuller in 1556. This uh, picture here is taken from Fox's Book of Martyrs and it's supposed to depict John Hullier about to be martyred. And so let me tell you what happened. <clears throat> it was on Thursday, April the 16th, 1556, that John Hullier was brought to the stake. He told the people to bear witness that he was about to suffer in a just cause. He exhorted them to believe that there was no other rock other than Jesus Christ to build on. A nearby priest by the name of Boys then desired the mayor to silence him. John, after praying, he went meekly to the stake and being bound with a chain and placed in a barrel of pitch. Fire was applied to the reeds and to the wood and a strong wind drove the fire directly to his back which caused him under severe agony to pray more fervently. His friends directed the executioner to put fire to the woodpile windward toward his face, which was immediately done. A quantity of books were now thrown into the fire, one of which was the communion service. This book John managed to catch as they were throwing the books at him. He opened it and joyfully continued to read it until the fire and smoke deprived him of his eyesight. And then, even in earnest prayer, he pressed the book to his heart, thanking God for bestowing on him in his last moments this precious gift. And John Hullier went to be with Jesus. Back in those days of the 1500s and the 1600s, many great Christians were burned at the stake. A year prior, in 1555, Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley died together. Latimer said, as they were being burned to death, he turned to his friend and said, Play the man, Master Ridley. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out.
the cross upon which Jesus died. It's a, not just the words of a song, but they're words fraught with meaning for every saved man or woman. The cross is a precious emblem. The world nailed our Savior to the cross. It was the worst possible way to die. But God changed the cross from an emblem of shame into a token of victory. And Christians began embracing the cross. There's a story that's told. They say it happened in 1967. While taking a class in photography at the University of Cincinnati, the author became acquainted with a young man named Charles Murray, who was also a student at the University of Cincinnati, training for the Summer Olympics in 1968 to be held in Mexico City. He was training as a high diver. Charles was very patient with the author as the author tried to tell Charles about Jesus Christ and how Jesus had saved him. Charles was not raised in a home that attended any kind of church and so everything the author told him was sort of a fascination to him. He even began to ask questions about forgiveness of sin. Finally the day came when the author put the question to him and asked Charles if he realized his own need of a savior and if he was ready to trust Christ. He writes and says, I saw his countenance fall and the guilt in his face, but his reply was a strong no. In the days that followed, he was quiet and often I felt he was avoiding me until I got a phone call and it was Charles. He wanted to know where to look in the New Testament for some verses that I had given him about salvation. I gave him the reference to several passages and asked if I could meet with him. He declined my offer and thanked me for the scripture. I could tell he was greatly troubled, but I did not know where he was or how to help him. Because he was training for the Olympic Games, Charles had special privileges at the university pool facilities. Sometime between 10.30 and 11 that evening, he decided to go for a swim and practice a few high dives. It was a clear night in October, and the moon was big and bright. The university pool was housed under a ceiling of glass panels, so the moon shone bright across the top of the wall in the pool area. Charles climbed to the highest platform to take his first dive. At that moment, the Spirit of God began to convict him of his sins. All the scriptures he had read, all the occasions of witnessing to him about Christ flooded his mind. He stood on the platform backwards to make his dive. He spread his arms to gather his balance, and he looked up to the wall and saw his own shadow caused by the light of the moon. It was the shape of a cross. He could bear the burden of his sin no longer. His heart broke and he sat down on the platform and asked God to forgive him and save him. He trusted Jesus Christ some 20 feet in the air. Suddenly, the lights in the pool area came on. The attendant had come in to check the pool. As Charles looked down from his platform, he saw an empty pool 
which had been drained for repairs, he had almost plummeted to his death. But the cross had stopped him from disaster. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. I cannot tell you if this story actually happened, but I've read where it did. But the truth of the matter is that people who die and end up in hell, many of them call the cross foolish. They call Jesus a foolish savior. Many of those that are in hell for eternity call Christians who go to church fools, who read the Bible as foolish. That's the only word they're fixated on. Their whole mind is taken up with this idea of how foolish we are to trust in a Jesus which they can never see. But for us who are saved, Jesus is precious. And even though our human eyes have never seen him, that is going to be a delight waiting for us one day when we get to heaven. In the meanwhile, we get to enjoy sins forgiven. We get to enjoy the peace from God. We get to enjoy the abiding Holy Spirit and his guidance in our lives. We get to enjoy the word of God and how it speaks to us. We get to enjoy Christian fellowship with brothers and sisters from anywhere in the world. We find out they're saved. We have instant family relation with them. We get to enjoy the knowledge that one day we shall open our eyes in heaven. There's a mansion waiting up there. We may live in a cottage below, but there's a mansion waiting for us up there. And it's all because of the cross. I know in my own life, back in April 1975, when I finally understood Jesus died for me, that the cross really came home to my heart. And I understood, oh, I want that. I want that in my life. Let's bow our heads in prayer together.